From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and welcome to the Holiness Podcast. We're so glad that you're with us uh, today listening, and we're going to be continuing our series on the guidance of the Holy Spirit, focusing on the second missionary journey of Paul, as it's recorded in about three chapters in Acts, the middle of Acts 15 through the middle of Acts 18. We began the series last month and uh, discovered that God's Spirit guides very personally and directly, and that's a wonderful part of uh, living a life set apart, a holy life. And uh, we're going to continue exploring the stories that we find that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, has included in telling us all about the second missionary journey of Paul. He was with Silas and Timothy, and we're going to discover he actually was as well with Luke himself. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 16. We focused on kind of the the lead-up and the context last month and looked specifically at uh, verses 6 to 10, where we saw that uh, eventually God gave Paul direct guidance through a vision. And you'll remember the Macedonian call, the man from Macedonia that appeared in a vision to Paul. Now we're going to pick up uh, immediately from the point where Paul responds. They pack up and they leave Troas and they begin on the journey with that instruction and direction from God the Holy Spirit. So this is Paul's second missionary journey. And I want to... uh, Make some observations. Uh, Luke's language changes from they to we and us. Now, the consensus of scholars is that that is a clear indication that Luke is now talking about experiences and parts of the journey that he accompanied Paul. And the we passages are a very interesting study, and there's a lot of controversy about them. But widely, it's understood that uh, in verses 9 and 10, the switch is made from they to we. And so, Luke has joined the journey and joined the team. We ended at uh, 1610 in the Macedonian call. It's interesting, Dr. Ben Witherington talks about that vision in verse 10, and the response, which begins in verse 11, with the words, they were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's very reminiscent of Acts 26, 19, when Paul is uh, telling his story to King Agrippa, 
And he says specifically about God's specific calling to him that he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So this month, we're going to see where that vision to respond to Macedonia takes Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy, and perhaps some others were on the team as well. Reading between the lines of the story, we're going to find truths and principles about God's guidance. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, life isn't neat and clean. Is that true? Uh, I imagine it is for you. I've never been anyone who uh, would uh, challenge that. We all face the changes and uh, challenges of life. And we saw how last month, how the Holy Spirit guides by closing some doors and opening other doors. We also observed last month that the Christian life is a combination of our human strategy, which is corrected by the Holy Spirit's guidance. Folks, this is about everyday living. Living a holy life and being guided by the Holy Spirit is the privilege of all believers, and it includes his guidance in all parts of our lives. So the human stories that Luke has chosen to tell in Acts are like our stories. We all encounter every day. Uh, we're going to see that Paul and Silas were going to Philippi, and they arrived there, and then they were making their way on at least two occasions to where the only meeting of the Jews uh, that they could discover, which was a meeting of women down by the river. But that's no different from you and I every day going to Walmart or to the post office or to our job. You may be attending Rotary Club. Maybe you're picking up your children at school. We all encounter opportunities every day where God's Holy Spirit will lead us if we are but sensitive and willing to that. So I want to begin where we're going to end by saying this. We have the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same power, the same promises, and the same opportunities that Paul and Silas have in these incidents we're going to study today. So this applies to us, and it's about everyday living. Now, let's begin with uh, verse 11, and we're going to read two verses just to get a sense of the journey. Acts 16, verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, Philippi was a very important city. It was, uh, it was a metropolis run on Roman principles and Roman law, and it is an important fact, as this story develops, that Roman citizenship in a Roman colony like Philippi 
was highly prized. In fact, it was on the Ignatian Way, which was the long path developed by the Roman Empire. Even today, there are cobblestone paths found on the way to Philippi. And we should note there was no reason for there to be a significant Jewish presence. And uh, we're going to go on reading now and tell the first of three stories. This one is the story of a woman named Lydia. So, reading verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, this is a fascinating story. It's a gathering place of prayer, apparently for women, near the river, and it was noted that it was outside the city. You'll remember that uh, uh, Christians and even Jews were considered to be a small and troublesome sect. And so the Romans, often in their Roman colony cities, would have those kind of groups meet outside the city. The consensus among scholars, again, is that there was apparently no synagogue, probably due to the lack of the necessary 10 men in order to have a synagogue. So Paul and his group obviously asked around and were told that there was a gathering of Jewish believers outside the city by the river. As it turned out, it looks like it was a gathering of women. Now, what a story. The key thought here is that Lydia was prepared to receive the gospel. She was apparently uh, one of, if not the leader of the group. And that, thir- that 14th verse says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, we need to fill in the blanks. When Paul and these Uh, men on his team arrived, uh, they probably were quickly asked to be the guest teacher for the day. We don't know if there were any men there or not along with the women. It's thought of by most uh, scholars that the reason they were by the river was so that they could observe the uh, rites that went along with the practice of gathering on the Sabbath But here's the line that is the most telling and important for us. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Well, here's a great truth about the Holy Spirit guiding us. He is our constant silent power and partner. 
the Spirit of God gave witness to Lydia's spirit. And here's the principle. The Holy Spirit always responds to the story of Jesus. And that makes it incumbent upon us to be people who are willing to talk about Jesus. Luke emphasizes that God opens the hearts of those who will receive his word. The story of Jesus was what Paul told these women, and it resonated in Lydia's heart. It was the truth for which she had been seeking for so long. Now, Lydia was obviously a woman of status and of means. There are many hints to that. It's widely considered that she was either a widow or a single woman because of uh, the absence of any reference to a husband and her invitation to their home. Uh, She had a large home, obviously, that could house the team. And she was a worshiper of God. Now, in verse 14, that speaks specifically of Gentiles who worship the biblical God and are devout in that way, even though they have not yet become Jews. This is not a new uh, experience for us to encounter someone called a God worshiper or a God fearer. It was only a chapter ago or a few chapters ago where we heard the story of Peter and Cornelius. And you'll remember that Cornelius, too, was a worshiper of God. I would pull a principle out of this that small things can grow into big things because the church at Philippi is being born as we are reading this story. And people ready for the gospel are everywhere. Now, that's a pretty easy truth for us to apply, isn't it? It's true today. It's true in your life. It's true in your activities and among the people that you meet. People are ready for the gospel. How does God use the Holy Spirit every day in our lives? Well, these three stories we're going to be looking at, and certainly this first one gives us a lot of insight. Where do you start when you want to serve the Lord and be open to the Holy Spirit's leading throughout the activities of your day? Well, you start with the story of Jesus. I wish I was much more willing than I seemingly am to speak of Jesus. It's almost embarrassing to confess that I speak more about the Georgia Bulldogs football team or the University of Kentucky basketball team than I do about Jesus in my normal conversation. That wasn't true of Paul. And I want to share with you a story that I think is a a good illustration of how God works uh, in ways that surprise us. The year was 1987, and I was uh, on the faculty of the Salvation Army's seminary Uh, It's called now Evangeline Booth College in Atlanta, Georgia. And part of uh, the training for ministry for Salvation Army officers includes uh, practicum work. And we had decided that we were going to establish uh, 
what we call a brigade, but it's just a, a, a small group that works as a group on a weekly basis, uh, maybe several times a week in a certain community, right in the neighborhood where the college was located. Now, that happens to be in an interesting neighborhood uh, in downtown Atlanta. And uh, we were going to be in this neighborhood every Wednesday and occasionally for other uh, days and special events for the entire school year. And the purpose of the practicum was to learn as a group how God would use our, ourselves, uh, not necessarily programs or funding or plans that we had, but to learn how God would use us as people as we interacted with the people in our community. So it was a wide-open group. We kind of uh, uh, dressed casually and started out a group of eight of us to get to know the community. And we prayed that God would find a way for us to be used in ministry, to make connections with the people uh, who lived in our neighborhood. Now, I have to tell you that the uh, uh, students were quite concerned and worried about how this was going to work because they weren't allowed to uh, give people money. They weren't allowed to start programs. They were simply going into the community to get to know people and see how God would use them. That's a pretty open <laughs> uh, description for that kind of practicum. So we were prayed up and we started out the very first day. They were anxious. We didn't know who we would meet. And we were passing about two blocks from the college, the local elementary school. It's called Gideon's Elementary School. And as we were walking by in a group across the street, all of a sudden a man came running out of the school, waving his arms toward us, came over, identified himself as the principal of the school, and said to us, can you help us? Talk about a direct answer to our prayers from the Lord, and in such a surprising way. Well, he was a wonderful man. His name was uh, Dr. Armistead Salters, and uh, we said, sure, we uh, we don't. We have time, and we have ourselves. If we can be of some help to you, and he said, "I need people to help uh, tutor our children." The school, as an inner city school in Atlanta, uh, did not fare well on the standardized testing, and many of their students uh, came out of very difficult homes, and they needed to work hard after school and tutor literally hundreds of children in order to try to bring them to the place they needed to be so they could keep moving on and moving uh, to the next grade. And so uh, it was almost time for school to get out, about 2.30 in the afternoon. We followed Dr. Salters inside, and uh, we were split up and given two or three or four students around a table in the cafeteria after the school uh, day was over, and we began to tutor second and third graders. Now, 
to us, that was an obvious direct answer to prayer. Uh, a surprising one, but a wonderful one. I have to tell you that we went back the following week, and then we went back for the rest of the school year. Ten years later, I was assigned to come back and be the principal of the college. And we were sending cadets every week still to Gideon's Elementary School, which we did for the six years that I was principal. So at least for 16 years, children were being tutored by ministerial students at the Salvation Army Evangeline Booth College, all because we asked God the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into a ministry in the neighborhood. Well, that brings us to the second story. A very different uh, story, a very different person than Lydia. This is the story of a slave girl who again was encountered by Paul and Silas as they were going on the Sabbath to uh, the place by the river of worship. And we're going to pick up reading at verse 16. Now, the second and third stories, they run together because one leads into the other. And uh, uh, we're going to stop at verse 24 and kind of focus on the story of the slave girl. So beginning with verse 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, the overall lesson this month is that being guided by the Holy Spirit does not eliminate adversity in our lives. What a wonderful story. Luke sees this girl as being in a demonic hold. I say that because Luke is telling the story. He sees her as being possessed by an evil spirit. Now, literally, it was pneuma pythona in the Greek, the spirit of Python. Well, that's a very specific spirit that everyone would have recognized that's identified with a story related to Apollos that you can read about in just about any 
resource on, uh, on this passage. The spirit in the girl called Paul and his command, companions servants of the Most High God and as being those who proclaim the way of salvation. Now, let's be sure we understand these are not the slave girl's words. These are the words of the spirit who has possessed, who has, uh, possessed her body and her world. Just as an aside, Paul's response was not a common one uh, we see today. I don't know about uh, you, but I would have uh, been quite upset at this turn that things were taking. They were arrested, flogged, put in prison, and put in the innermost part of the prison, and then bound in stocks. I think I would be saying to myself, what did I do? To, what did we do to deserve this? Where is the Holy Spirit if he's guiding us? And why did this happen? You've heard of Murphy's Law. Uh, it comes in a lot of forms, such as if anything can go wrong, it will. I know people who really believe and live by Murphy's Law. Uh, they're pretty pessimistic. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. Uh, left to themselves, things tend to go from bad to worse. Every solution brings new problems. That's Murphy's Law. <laughs> well, I would have uh, definitely responded, uh, I think, in a different way than Paul did. This is a very interesting story. The text does not clearly say that the uh, Pythonus was suggesting Paul and Silas were proclaiming the way of salvation. We have to understand the polytheistic and pluralistic context that existed in this Roman colony of Philippi. Unlike the way it often is uh, interpreted, that this is a true proclamation about the true God coming from a very dubious source, this spirit inside the slave girl. Uh, the story is not about identifying the proper God. It says that Paul is disturbed and that this has happened for several days. In fact, it says that he is grieved, very troubled about all of this. The word salvation without any explanation, would connote to the people who were around them uh, healing of rescue to a, uh, to a pagan god, just like the term Most High God would not suggest the monotheistic God of Israel, but to a pagan would suggest the deity is one that's at the top of the pantheon of gods. So in verse 18, when Paul turned and spoke to the Spirit, which was actually speaking through the girl, he ordered it to come out in the name of Jesus. There's a neat wordplay or pun that's, that takes place 
uh, as Luke writes this story. In verse 8, he says, the spirit left the girl that same hour, and at the same time, her lords or owners, hope of making money, in verse 19, left them. He used the same word. It's a play on words. And the mention of lords suggests that this was some sort of ongoing business partnership, now without a source of revenue. So Luke connects spiritual dispositions with the disposition of money and possessions. Well, here we are. It's an age-old story, isn't it? Loss of income will bring about opposition to the gospel. This is a story with some complex parts that would be very easy for us to miss. Paul's heart went out to this girl. An evil spirit is a terrible guest to have haunting one's soul and possessing one's body. Finally, Paul couldn't stand it any longer. He threw caution to the wind. He invoked the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before that name, the evil spirit fled. Now, we would see this as a wonderful thing, as a miracle. The girl was set free from a spiritual capacity or captivity worse than any slavery devised by Rome. To use the terms of a wonderful Wesleyan hymn, her chains fell off, her soul was free, but now she could no longer prophesy. Her ability to tell fortunes was gone. Verse 19, you remember, says, And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas, drew them into the marketplace, unto the rulers. There's a principle here that I think is important. In most spiritual breakthroughs, there is always some response, usually some unique resistance and response by Satan. It may be subtle, but when the story of Jesus is told and the power of the Holy Spirit comes into play, we often encounter Satan who masquerades as an angel of light. Friends, this brought uh, big trouble. But isn't it true today, in our history as the Salvation Army, we began by challenging the uh, sale of liquor and trying to uh, attack the problem of alcoholism in the pubs. And when we would be successful, we made enemies, often, among the pub owners. You can very easily, and I can look today and see that there are many businesses that trade on people's vices, that pander to their lusts, that undermine society, that wreck homes, that ruin health and spread disease. There are thousands of people in our communities involved in peddling drugs, selling pornography, so many ways that vast and powerful interests are invested in making money out of such terrible societal evils. 
They need to be dealt with as a doctor deals with cancer. Well, the slave girl, we, we aren't ever told that she became a believer, but because it is placed where it is in this set of stories, most people believe that she became part of the Philippian church. And that brings us to story number three. It's really part of the same story as I mentioned. Paul and Silas in jail. That's where they found themselves. Now, we know from the end of the story that they never should have been put in jail. They were Roman citizens. We don't know if they tried to claim that, if they ever had an opportunity to claim that, if they weren't believed, or if for some reason Paul decided to wait. What we do know is that they were stripped and beaten and imprisoned and placed in stocks none of which was allowed to be done to Roman citizens. We wonder why the severity of the punishment. Well, you take away a person's ability to make money and you will incur their wrath. Another idea uh, is that the fact that they showed such supernatural power by casting out the spirit was a threat. But I don't think you can get around the very practical truth that these men lost their source of income and immediately became opposed to the gospel. Now, another thing that clearly plays in is uh, what we today recognize and still exists, anti-Semitism. The anti-Jewish feeling of the crowds were fed by the owners. These men are Jews, they cried as we read the story. And so we have this severe flogging and being thrown into prison. I mentioned that I would have responded very differently. I think by this time, uh, I would have probably been questioning the Macedonian call. Was this a mistake? <laughs> Maybe my vision was a bad dream. <laughs> you see, Paul and Silas were misunderstood and mistreated. Have you ever been there? You've stood for what is right. You've tried to live for God. You've resisted. Others have not. But you wind up paying the price. We only have time to pull one principle out of this story. You know, it's a great story because they're going to praise the Lord at midnight. Now, this is a great opportunity to put ourselves into Paul and Silas's place. They were severely flogged. Their backs would have been in shreds. They would have been in great pain. And the reason they put them in stocks is that kept them from moving. I would have been singing Rescue the Perishing, <laughs> but I, I think what they were singing was something akin to How Great Thou Art. And the principle that we draw out of the Holy Spirit's guidance is that praise in hard times reaps a harvest of benefits. The most startling thing in the entire story is 
to me is that Paul and Silas sang praises unto the Lord at midnight in their utter physical agony. And the hurting chained men who are around them and the other prisoners were listening to them. They probably expected them to be cursing those who had in, uh, imprisoned them, but instead they were praising God. Now, the rest of the story includes the earthquake, the doors open, everybody's set free, and the jailer uh, comes and is ready to take his life when he discovers that uh, everyone is still there. He asks, what must I do to be saved? The wonderful answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. And he takes them home to his, his house where he and his household become believers. And then the story ends as uh, they are uh, finally let go. We didn't take time to read. It's about 16 verses, but many of you know this. The next day, the jailer was told to let them go. And uh, they actually went back to Lydia's house. There are wonderful truths in this story, but we only have time to focus on this one. Praise during hard times reaps a harvest of benefits. I love reading the book of Acts because Luke chooses to tell representative stories from each of the places that Paul and Silas go. This all happened in Philippi, and those three stories have taught us many lessons about how the Holy Spirit guides us. What a resource! And yet, I fear that most believers are largely unconscious of the fact that the Holy Spirit is walking with them every day, ready and prepared to guide and to lead them. We're now back where we began. This is about everyday living. Living a holy life takes place in the normal activity, sometimes the minutia of what you and I do every day. The stories in Acts about meeting the slave girl, about uh, encountering Lydia, and about facing unfair opposition and even being mistreated, they're like our stories. Their lives are no different than our lives. Paul and Silas went to a women's meeting on the Sabbath. And as I mentioned, we may, in our normal activities, have the very same opportunities. You and I need to put God's love into action on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. We need to expect God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us. We need to recognize that all of us who know Christ have the Holy Spirit in our lives to guide us. And when we are the new creations in Christ that he has made us, we will be guided by God's Holy Spirit in a wonderful, sensitive, and regular way. It's a way where the Holy Spirit will do his miraculous work. 
So the challenge is as it was when we began. Friends, we have the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same power. We have the same promises. We have the same opportunities that Paul and Silas had as we read about their stories and the incidents of their second missionary journey. You and I have the opportunity to be guided by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that we won't face adversity. It does mean that he will meet all our needs according to his riches in glory and will use us to be faithful witnesses that he has called us to be. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, uh, looking at those stories. We see the Holy Spirit at work uh, as we read the book of Acts on every page. He brings the power. He fulfills the promises. And he can help us to live lives that are truly set apart for God. Next time, we're going to back up and go to the Jerusalem Council and fill in the blanks about the very beginning discussions that led to commissioning Paul and Barnabas originally to go on this second missionary journey. It's one of the most exciting parts of the book of Acts, and uh, we can look forward to learning about the famous Jerusalem Council and what it can teach us about how the Holy Spirit guides us. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope you have a wonderful month, and we'll look forward to being with you again on the Holiness Podcast. This is Vern Jewett saying uh, we'll see you next time, and may God bless you richly as you serve him. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.